With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I said those words that will forever echo in my mind. And we are dying here. And you are killing us with your bureaucracy and your inefficiency. I also said I am done being politically correct. I am mad as hell. After Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico, San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulín Cruz emerged as one of the island's fiercest advocates. Carmen tells me she was called to service very young and that years living and studying in the States made her even more Puerto Rican. Now, as she prepares to run for governor, she's coming to terms with the fact that she is not destined to live a normal life so that others on her beloved island can. You spent most of your academic career as president of your class, eighth grade yeah, to eighth senior grade year to of senior high year. school. Yeah. What drew you? What was that call to service? Well, if, if I'm going to be, as I always am, totally honest, uh, on the eighth grade, people were complaining about the seventh grade president. They're like, oh, he's not, you know, we used to have this assembly. So I went to a very progressive high school even then. It's the University of Puerto Rico Secondary High School. So it's kind of a lab school. It's not a charter school. It's a lab school. And, um, you know, they would give us the books that they were going to use in the public school system for us to sit down with the writers and tell them what we thought was wrong. So here I am at eight years old telling award-winning writers, you know, you really need to make this a lot more comfortable because it's very boring. And they would look at me like, I cannot believe it. And finally, they talked and talked and talked. And I remember I took a broom. There was a broom because they were all talking at the same time and I smacked it against the desk. And I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So really, I, I was an operator, just like the old operators on World War II. They, you know, they call and say, I'll connect you, right? And that's what I did. I connected people in the school. I connected people with outside the school. 
And it was very nice to see our dreams, our collective dreams, come true. Our high school did not have a cafeteria. And a friend of mine, who still is a friend of mine, said, why don't we run the cafeteria? All throughout my life, my voice has not been at the center of the stage. I've been the platform for lots of voices to come together and and be at center stage. So it, it was always very nice to make sure that things got done. You get into Boston University. You tell your dad, basically, I'm going. What does he say? No. <laughs> and my mother said no. And my grandmother said yes. My grandmother gave me the money to apply for college. Is this the same grandmother who had grown up working on a sugar plantation and gone to college my, herself, or is that a different grandmother? No, the same. But my grandmother, she herself did not work. My great-grandfather did. And when it was time for her to work at the plantation, he made a choice that will touch our lives and change our lives forever. He said, no, you're going to school because hmm. we need somebody to learn to read and write. It was it was a way also of making a life, but of opening different spaces. So my grandmother very quietly took me to take the SATs. My parents didn't know and gave me the money to apply for college. And I said, well, I got into Boston University and and I'm. it doesn't matter. I'm taking a loan and I'm going, but the loan wasn't enough, and they ended up mortgaging their home twice. But didn't tell you? They didn't tell me. I found that out when I graduated from a master's at Carnegie Mellon University. They ended up mortgaging there so I could have an education. Do you think you would have felt differently if you had known that? I, I think I would have probably fought and said no. That, that's love when you are are willing to put everything on the line because that's all they own, their home. So they put everything on the line so I could get an education. So every award that I've been humbled in getting and I, I don't keep any at home. They're all in my parents' house. I love that. Because it's theirs. Did living and studying in the States change your perception of Puerto Rico's relationship yes. to the rest of the country? Yes, I became more Puerto Rican. Mm. Um, I became more proud of being Puerto Rican because for the first time I also experienced, I wouldn't tell you that I was discriminated against, but there was this, this phrase that I hated, or you're Puerto Rican but you don't look it. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that and saying, what, was, what am I supposed to look like? And I said it to the person, what do you mean? I truly did not understand. The more different that people wanted me to feel, the more in tune that I became with my own hopes and aspirations. But that difference was there. I didn't, I didn't pray in English. I didn't love in English. My experience through the environment was through a glass that was definitely tinted, Puerto Rican and Latino. You go to Carnegie Mellon for grad school, study public management and policy. Was there any part of you that entertained staying on the mainland? No. 
even though I don't call it the mainland because that would make me the second land. But even though I got married, I, I always thought my husband at the time and I would go back to Puerto Rico. And then I had my daughter, Marina, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I went back home. A major achiever. You've been achieving your entire life, right? It's just like thing after... You have a, a house. Your parents' house is filled with awards. How did it feel to come back and say, I tried this marriage thing and it didn't work? It felt very natural hmm. because one of the things that living in the States gives you is a sense of freedom that you're not shackled to what other people may think. And, you know, as Latinas, we are shackled to, oh, you can't get a divorce. Oh, no. You know, and, and all of my friends have been married for the longest time. And, and But Jolene has been divorced a few times, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, I decided not to stay in marriages that where things didn't work out for both of us. Um, or things didn't work out for one of us. Or sometimes some people didn't want to be married to me anymore. So I, I didn't think about it, honestly. Most of the time, I, I think I go como oveja al matadero. You know, I, I just think something should be done and I go for it. And sometimes my grandmother used to say, you must be a very young soul. You haven't been here before because just the way you go at life. It's just like... Like there's no tomorrow. As an old soul, I'm deeply envious of that. That sounds <laughs> delightful. <laughs> but it gets you into a lot of trouble. I bet. 92, you come back to Puerto Rico. You become an advisor to San Juan Mayor Sila Maria Calderon. 2000, you run for the House of Representatives to be a member at large. And I lose. And, you and lose. I lose. Yeah. 2008, you're elected to the House of Representatives as a member of the PDP. The at large. At large. Yeah. Of the... Popular Democratic Party. How would you explain the ideology of the PDP? If we're talking about status, the basic starting point is a non-colonial, non-territorial. But it is a relationship with the United States. And how that takes shape, it depends on who you speak to in the leadership of the PDP. And what I'm trying to ensure that we go back to is those roots of 1938, 1940. The Popular Democratic Party was the answer to the question of who will be the voice of those that have less? Who will be the voice of the people that are working in the sugarcane plantations for 50 cents a day? Who will be the voice of the kids that have tuberculosis and have no health insurance? Who would be the voice of ensuring that those that had more didn't have more at the expense of those that have less. It's also wild, though, because you did not start here. I mean, this no. has been a a shift in ideology for you. What happened in your life? Who did you meet that pulled you to the left? You know, the, the minute you say the left, people go, oh, oh, my God. Pulled me to a set of values that are more important than, than any label certainly liberal. Ten years ago, I did not believe in egalitarian marriage. I believed that marriage was only for a man and a woman. I now believe that love is love and that it doesn't matter how you love or who you love as long as there are adults that consent. That's it. But then I had friends that looked at me and said, I love you dearly, but I'm in a relationship with a man 
and I'm a man. And I'm in a relationship with a woman, and I'm a woman. And I know you love me dearly as a friend. Tell me why you think I'm not worth as much as you are. And I got nothing. I had nothing. I had nothing that made sense. Because the God that I serve is a God of love. I had nothing. So I, I started thinking about, did it make sense to push my values on other people? I was complaining to a friend of mine a few months ago. But I said, you know, I, I, I wonder if I should just go and live a normal life. And she said, you don't know what normal is. Mm -mm. And he chuckled and he said, no. And I looked at him and I thought, what? And he said, you cannot live a normal life so that I can give my daughters a normal life. So, you know, as Latino women, sometimes we are, we are taught that we need to wait our turn to speak. Mm -hmm. That our voices aren't powerful enough. That we're not enough. We are. We're every bit enough than anybody else. Our voices can carry far and further than anyone else's. Look at Dolores Huerta. You know, she was the one that came up with the Si Se Puede. And we don't want to take, and we don't need to take anything away from Cesar Chavez. But she's still at it. Our voices are important. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind.
One thing Julika and I are really proud of when it comes to this show is amplifying voices that we're not used to hearing. That's why we want to recommend a new podcast called Self-Evident. It's a show that tells stories about Asian Americans in ways that challenge the usual narratives. I just listened to their latest episode, which goes deep into how Vietnamese Americans are responding to deportations under the current administration. It is an eye-opening and really personal story that confronts the myth of the good immigrant from within the community. And Self-Evident has a whole range of stories, from a second-generation Filipino-American's quarter-life crisis to a Korean-American genderqueer writer struggle to get their hairdresser to agree to a buzz cut. So check out Self-Evident wherever you listen to Latina to Latina and visit selfevidentshow.com to learn more. Let's rewind. Take me back to before Hurricane Maria hit. Did you know what was coming? Well, we had just uh, been hit with Hurricane Irma. About 70% of the island did not have any electricity already. It was, it was taking far too long to get the electricity, the power back up in San Juan. About half of San Juan recovered electricity after Irma and half of it didn't. And all of a sudden, we hear about this other thing. And I remember the first time I saw it on TV, she wasn't very organized. <laughs> you know, she was like all over the place. And, and I thought, wow, if she gets organized, it's going to hit us. And, yep. and she came exactly on the same path. Now, the problem is when hurricanes come through the southern part of Puerto Rico, once they hit land, they change course and they rip right through the middle. So three days before Maria, I woke up at three in the morning crying. I called the immediate staff and I said, look, when the clock starts ticking in a few hours, I need you to buy everything you can. We had enough food, water, surgical equipment and medication for our hospital and our nine health clinics and our HIV clinics. We had enough for one month, but I said, we need to buy more. So we went out to the market and we hoarded generators and we hoarded the lights uh, that you can use at night. And, and we bought in a day millions of dollars worth of materials that we would need. We also set aside two gas stations that we rented to be able to have all of our fleet with all of our trucks and our police cars and an ambulance served. We were as ready as we could be, but we weren't really ready. Hurricane hits. It's devastating. At what point in the aftermath do you realize help is not coming? It, it was about a week. And all we would receive from FEMA was, we need you to go into the internet and send us your request. Uh, we need you to print a memo. I kept saying, though, that this can't be right. This, can't, this just can't be right. But it couldn't be that bureaucratic? It couldn't be that bureaucratic, and it couldn't take that long because we had been told that help was already on the ground before the hurricane. Well, if help was already on the ground, how, how long could it take to, for it to be deployed? 
So I, I remember we gave all the documentation they asked for uh, because we were at the largest shelter in Puerto Rico, Coliseo Roberto Clemente, and, and we had 10 or 12 generators. We gave the information to FEMA once. I, I personally handed it to uh, the head of FEMA in, in Puerto Rico at the time. And all of a sudden, no, we need it again. And I said, I remember coming back from th that meeting and saying, they're going to let us die. I don't know why, but they're going to let us die. So I pulled all the staff together and I called my communications director and I said, I, I want to have a press conference. I don't know who would come, but I want to have a press conference. Just about an hour or two hours before that, Goya sent us, nobody asked Goya to do this, 200,000 pounds of food. And we started receiving aid from uh, the then mayor, um, Philip Levine, from Miami-Dade. He got on a plane, private plane, and he got a whole bunch of medicine and and first aid uh, material and somehow got my phone and said, Mayor, my name is Philip Levine. I'm here to help you. And could you come to the airport and get the stuff that, that I'm getting? And, and I kept thinking, how can this man from Miami-Dade get on a plane and come here and the president of the United States is saying that the logistics are insurmountable and that he cannot get it done. So I, I, I said those words that will forever echo in my mind, and we are dying here, and you are killing us with your bureaucracy and your inefficiency. Believe it or not, there were some people in Puerto Rico that were mad that I said that. and said Because they said I endangered the help that the federal government was giving us well. They weren't giving us any help. I also said, I am done being politically correct. I am mad as hell. Because I could hear the voices of the people around me. I could hear the voices of the mayors that would come to the Coliseum to get food and water because they didn't have any for their people. Uh, the cries of the elderly saying, I haven't had my chemo, my radiotherapy. I haven't had my dialysis. And it was evident what was happening. But the Trump administration was more interested in looking good and spinning this as a good news story than doing what they were supposed to do. Did you single Trump out? to call attention to what was happening on the island? Did you think it was the most effective way to get help? No, I singled him out because he was the responsible party here. I singled him out because he was the one lying to the world saying that, oh, we have done tremendous, tremendous work in Puerto Rico. It's fantastic with the amount. Well, no, it wasn't fantastic. I singled him out because he pinned our horrible time against Katrina's horrible time. And, and he tried to put one disaster over another. I, I remember I was there in that meeting. I remember him saying, oh, Puerto Rico, you have thrown, I don't know if you know this, but you have thrown our budget out of whack for all the money we have thrown down here. And I remember saying, this man doesn't deserve for me to come to this meeting, but I represent everybody in San Juan. And if you do not respect the man, you respect the office. 
So I went, and when I shook his hand, I said, Mr. President, this isn't about politics. This is about saving lives. He tried not to say hello to me, but the press said, Mr. President, the mayor of San Juan, because they put me in a corner, right? Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> and uh, and the, the press kind of shamed him into uh, shaking my hand. And I waited till he extended it, because you can do whatever you want to me, but not to San Juan, not to Puerto Rico. So I singled him out because he is responsible. I single him out for the deaths of 3,000 Puerto Ricans that did not need to die but because of his obstinate and vindictive behavior towards the people of Puerto Rico died because it took him too long to put things in order and get things done. Those of us who live in this area brace ourselves mm -hmm. every hurricane season. You're bracing yourself and you have a recovery that is incomplete at best. It, it's, it's just starting up. Um, there's still 30,000 blue roofs or roofs with tarps in Puerto Rico, and it's expected to be kind of busy. So we are not ready. We are more conscious than before. I think on an individual level, people are more ready than they were last time. Now they don't keep water and medication and food for one week. They keep it for a month. We are now so caught up in talking about Irma, talking about Maria, but the island was in a precarious position yes, yes. prior to those natural disasters, uh, financially precarious position. So it's a $72 billion debt. Yeah. Dealing with brain drain, the most mm -hmm. talented um, and educatedly upwardly mobile leaving the island. What would it actually take, not just to rebuild Puerto Rico to where it was before those storms hit, but to reimagine the island? And and I think you're on the right track. I, I don't I don't like talking about rebuilding. I like talking about transforming. Because obviously one of the things that were really wrong about Maria, but at the same time, uh, it was a mirror we had to face. Mm -hmm. We could not escape. Was that Maria took away literally about 30 million trees. So there was no hiding, and I've said this before, our poverty and our inequalities behind palm trees and piña coladas. Mm -hmm. Literally, they're there for everyone to see now. So you can't escape it anymore if, if you were one of those people that wanted to escape it. So one of the things that, that I believe we need to do, and that's what we're doing in San Juan, is get into this mentality of looking for permanent solutions to recurring problems, not putting Band-Aid solutions on issues. And, and, you know, a lot has been said about the Green New Deal and, and how it, it is good for the environment. But we need a Green Deal. It's not new because we didn't have one before. So we need a Green Deal. We need to look at the energy sources and move away from the fossil fuel like a vampire moves away from a cross, you know, just as fast as we can. You know, you just have to have to move away from that quickly and emerge from this with a vision, a, a vision that understands that we have a stronger relationship with the people of the United States that there are some structural changes that need to take place in that relationship with the government of the United States, 
Uh, Puerto Rico is a colony, and there are many avenues to fix that, um, not well, just one. Let's talk about that, because mm-hmm. that is the question, right? It's the question that looms over Puerto Rico. You yourself don't believe in statehood. No. Why? Uh, Puerto Rico is, is a nation. And, uh, you know, we were we had been invaded and colonized before by the Spanish. We had reached a level of autonomy when the Spanish-American War broke out um, in 1898. And I think our status needs to change. But, you know, look, I, I believe personally in free association. It's like a prenup. We both sit down. We say, you know, what can I give you? What can you give me? And people say, well, what can I? Island 100 miles by 35 gift to the United States. Well, right now, it is it is estimated that American companies in Puerto Rico take out of Puerto Rico $40 billion a year in profits. And they get about 80% of that. Uh, they can get preferential tax treatment in the United States. Those, those are things that can continue. They only pay a 4% tax rate in Puerto Rico. I think that should be increased just a little bit. Just imagine if we had five billion of those, just five, rather than 40 billion, 35 billion taken as profits. So what I believe in is a self-determination process. To me, if I truly believe in democracy, the process is as important as the result. And to have all voices be heard. Tell me about your decision in this 2020 race to support Senator Bernie Sanders. I wasn't a Bernie Sanders supporter. But one thing struck with me, stuck with me with Bernie. He is committed. He's consistent. And he's courageous. For him, Puerto Rico was not an opportunity to get delegates. He stayed committed to the cause of the Puerto Rican people. He put uh, a bill into for the consideration of the Senate to have 100% parity on uh, Medicaid. Uh, We get about 55 cents on a dollar, but we pay the same. He fought against the Fiscal Control Board, that is putting austerity measures in Puerto Rico that are really forcing us into an even further spiral of economic horror. What the core of this not campaign, but transformation that Bernie is presenting to the American people is about are are inherently, truly Latino values. You respect the family so you don't separate them at the border. You have a sensible path to uh, an immigration policy. You respect the value of education. You know that in order to be a fully participating citizen in a democracy need to be healthy. You stand up against everything that makes life unequal, unfair, and unjust, and you are uncompromising about it. If you want somebody to get it done, forget about the label. Think about what's in it for you and your family. And Bernie Sanders is the person to get it done. I've got to ask you, you running for governor. Yes, I am. I am running for governor. It's a big decision. Uh, It's a big decision, um, probably for the same reasons that um, Bernie's running for president. That's why I support him. We see eye to eye in many things. And uh, it's time. Time for change. And change starts from the bottom up. 
Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantiqua Williams and me. Maria Muriel is our sound designer. Carolina Rodriguez is our sound engineer. Emma Forbes is the show's intern. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. It is the quickest way to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.